All right. Welcome, folks, to this. Uh, where are we? What day of the week is it? Much less what time it is. <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> this is Wednesday, Wednesday session of the Miracle Hour. We're going to continue our conversation about the Holy Spirit um, in Chapter 6. Certainly, um, Jesus really expanded the role of the Holy Spirit. What's going on, Lynn? <laughs> it's Monday. Oh, it's Monday. <laughs> Thank you. Bruce is laughing. His, you know what off. <laughs> they all merge. That's right. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same. It's really? it's funny. Yeah. It is. It truly is. So I'll start over. <laughs> Welcome to this Monday session of the Miracle Hour at noon on April 27th. Is that better? <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah we're going to continue our discussion of the holy spirit <clears throat> the role of the holy spirit that jesus certainly started talking about in uh chapter five he continues to talk about it in chapter six and um we've gone over a lot the the first four sections today we're going to focus mostly on the um, fifth section which is actually called the lessons of the Holy Spirit, I think. <laughs> um, I wanted to start with a little meditation. Um, it's in, uh, it's on page 437 in the workbook, 437 in the workbook. This is uh, question number seven, what is the Holy Spirit? And um, the last two paragraphs, paragraph four and five. And this is a, a nice succinct um, brief, <laughs> way of describing the role of the Holy Spirit and, and what he's there to help us do. Um, Lynn, you want to read uh, paragraph four and five? We'll get quiet for a little bit. Sure. From knowledge where he, the Holy Spirit, has been placed by God, the Holy Spirit calls to you to let his forgiveness rest upon your dreams and be restored to sanity and peace of mind. Without forgiveness, will your dreams remain to terrify you and the memory of all your father's love will not return to signify the end of dreams has come. Accept your father's gift it is a call from love to love that it be but itself. The Holy Spirit is his gift by which the quietness of heaven is restored to God's beloved son. Would you refuse to take the function of completing God when all he wills is that you be complete? We'll get quiet for a little bit. I'll bring us back.
and gently, gently come back. Wanted to uh, step back for a minute and, and um, just check in and see if you had any questions about or, or thoughts about the Holy Spirit, things that have come up or any particular classrooms during this lockdown that um, you've been dealing with, you might want to talk about a little bit or comment on or <laughs> bring up as a possible topic for the Holy Spirit to deal with. Hmm. Peggy, how you doing? You're pretty new to most of this stuff. <laughs> Have you heard the Holy Spirit described this way before? I just, uh, I had you on, let me see. You're on, you're on mute now, Peggy. There you go. Oh. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been reading the Course for like 20 years, but I got away from it for a few years. So it was because it scared me a lot because my ego would come up and then I thought it, I blamed it on the Course. But uh, it was actually just a call for love I was afraid of. So the Holy Spirit, that's something that's like, uh, I hadn't really thought of it that much before so now it's it, it's clearing up the confusion I had there about it so good what was your what was your religious background was it Christian or Catholic or I didn't have any religious background at all but uh, about 30 years ago a friend introduced me to this course and and it just spoke to me it was like direct um, direct from Jesus, and I just knew it was true. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. yeah, very good. Thank you. A lot of us, um, not most of us come in with baggage about the Holy Spirit, <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was, so I don't... <laughs> That's good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a novel approach. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think Laurie Pappas came in without any kind of religious background either. <laughs> she may be the only other person besides Peggy, Peggy that I know that came in that way. <laughs> I definitely had a Catholic upbringing. <laughs> Serious, twelve years of Catholic that, high school. Is that more difficult? Then? I don't know. <laughs> it's all difficult. <laughs> I don't think I'm afraid of the ego. I don't think I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> took a while to realize that the ego really doesn't scare me so much these days it's the holy spirit and what he's asking me to do sometimes that rocks my boat yeah very good thanks Peggy. thank you um anybody else comments thoughts about the holy spirit in general judy with a jewish background <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> Although my name is Judith, which means a Jewess. But anyway, oh, um, oh. <laughs> um, the Holy Spirit. Um, I do remember having an argument one time um, in some religious uh, class or another that I really thought the Holy Spirit had a female gender. And the person that was teaching the class said, I've never heard of it. And how dare you? And 
Um, so I remember that. Um, I've been, I really love reading this chapter. Um, it, um, and I've been working with the Holy Spirit or Jesus around um, my dog's recent passing away. And I'm just edging towards um, seeing that it's in my mind and that I'm going to be, that he's always going to be with me. Um, so, I mean, I have my moments when I just can't stand to be without him, but it's, it's getting better and um, I'm more able to rest in being than I ever have been before. And, and beginning, this chapter is really help, is helping me to see connections that I've only half thought before, shadows that I've only really um, touched on before. So it's, it's really, um, God being love is happiness. I mean, yeah. It was uh, interesting the past week or so we've been, um, another image of the Holy Spirit that's come through is, is Toto, the little dog. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pause. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been wonderful. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Thanks. Anybody else thoughts about Holy Spirit? Stephen? Go ahead, Stephen. Uh, I was in class, I guess I was uh, on about into about five years. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the, the facilitator, the teacher, uh, I guess at the time he had about 20 years. And he said uh, uh, that there is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. And I jumped up from my chair. And I said, I've been reading this book every day for years now. And it's in here like 1,100 times, <laughs> along with voice of God, voice for God, which is saying the same thing. How can you say that? I thought it was reckless at the time. Um, but it was really very helpful for me because I went to this section, uh, what is Holy Spirit? And then I went to clarification of terms and I spent days picking them apart. And I kept coming apart, coming upon the part that says, Holy Spirit seems to be a voice. Holy Spirit seems to be a guide. Holy Spirit seems to be what you really, whatever you need them to be, basically. Those aren't exact words, but, uh, the word seems, I couldn't get past it. And uh, at this point in my, uh, in, in my studies, I know that uh, what he said is true. In truth, there is no Holy Spirit. In truth, there's only oneness. There's only mind. Uh, you know, but that level one, level two type thinking uh, uh, is, uh, gets us in so much trouble because that's where ego gets in between. Um, in this world, Holy Spirit is the bridge to God. Uh, we we need to, to change uh, the purpose of what this body is and the purpose of what, what our, our mind, our mind small m is here so that we can change our mind and join with that oneness and understand that heavenly awareness that the Course talks, talks about. So there is a Holy Spirit in the world, seemingly, and we need that Holy Spirit to, to help us along. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, well said.
You reminded me of a, I think I'd been to the course for a while, maybe 10 years or so. And uh, I came across this, to me, it was a glitch at the time. I don't even remember why I got upset, but it was something about the Holy Spirit with one foot in heaven and one foot here. And he wasn't real anyway. And I was going to quit the course. I, that was my excuse. I'm not doing this anymore. This Holy Spirit business doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> so I'm done. <laughs> it lasted about a day, <laughs> probably not even that long. But that was going to be my big exit from the course. <laughs> was Jesus had it all wrong about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> I'm sure I'll come up with another thing. <laughs> but that was the big one at the time. He does describe the Holy Spirit, as Stephen was saying, in many, many ways. He calls him the great communication link between us and heaven. Um, God's voice, for sure. Many, many times God's voice. Um, in uh, section four on page 100 in the text, section four in chapter six, he calls the Holy Spirit the only answer, <laughs> not just the answer. He's the only friggin' answer. <laughs> it's it. He's the answer. Meaning anything else isn't real anyway. <laughs> so it takes us a while to get to that point, but I mean, that's where he's going with this. The reason I wanted to back up and look at um, section four, because um, we kind of touched on this the other day. In Lynn's session, um, wanted to point out, like, it's in this section where Jesus really describes the decision maker and the role the decision maker has on the chart. We always have it, you know, in the mind um, between the ego and the Holy Spirit. And the decision maker is that part of us that chooses between one of those two things, Bet between choosing the ego as the answer and trusting the ego or choosing the Holy Spirit is the only answer and trusting the, the Holy Spirit or being willing to learn to trust the Holy Spirit. So in this section four, um, and, and Jesus has, you know, he's been presenting concepts and, and, and developing themes like atonement and forgiveness and Holy Spirit, etc. But here he's really going to focus on that part of us that made up the ego i.e. the decision maker on, on Ken Lopnick's chart. For example, in paragraph one, he says, the ego always speaks first. It is capricious all over the place and does not mean its maker well. He's talking about us as a decision maker choosing to make up the ego and then believe we are an ego. And he goes on, the ego believes and correctly that its maker with us, us and as a decision maker, may withdraw our support from it in any moment. That's the ego's real fear. Is that the ego really doesn't know the Holy Spirit, doesn't understand the Holy Spirit, but it understands that the thing that made it has a choice to let go of believing in it. And it, that's what the ego as a seeming self-autonomous thing is afraid of, that the, that the decision maker is gonna choose something else that us as a decision maker, we as a decision maker will let go of our belief in the ego and just let it go. And then he goes on in uh, paragraph two, line three, you, you the decision maker made the ego without love and so it does not love you 
as a decision maker. In, fa in fact, it's, it, it hates you. <laughs> it hates you as the son of God. I mean, that's the dichotomy we set up. I mean, we made the, we made the ego and then we identified with it. So really, the ego is us at that point. But I mean, we're talking about it like it's two separate entities. Like there's the, the maker and then there's the ego. But when we, when we decide we're an ego, pretty much we've, you know, identified ourselves as an ego. Go ahead, Bruce. Oh, I was just, your, your reference to us and I thought maybe you were quoting Pogo Possum. Oh, I always do. <laughs> the enemy and they as us and I think that was the, the yeah. quote, yeah. Right. Which, is, which is ego, recognizing that its days are numbered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And because the decision maker can withdraw its support from it at any given moment. <laughs> That's what the holy instant is. It's just like once we just we withdraw our support from the ego, what's left, the only answer left is, the only real answer ever anyway, was the Holy Spirit. So he goes on. You made the ego without love, and so it does not love you. Line four, paragraph two. You could not remain within the kingdom without love, and since the kingdom is love, you believe now, since you're identified with an ego, you, that you are without the kingdom. This enables the ego to regard itself as separate and outside its maker. Us. <laughs> us. And. Thus speaking, for the part of your mind that believes you are separate and outside the mind of God. Um, line nine, the most inventive <laughs> activities. Interesting choice for all the drama the ego cooks up and believes, you know, it's the other guy robbing us of our peace. The most inventive activities of the ego have never done more than obscure the question, what am I? Who am I? Because you have the answer, meaning we have access to the Holy Spirit, and the ego is afraid of you as a decision maker, that you might choose something else besides it. Um... Paragraph four, the ego cannot hear the Holy Spirit. That, that's how much of a division there is between this um, made up self-autonomous thing and the Holy Spirit. The ego has no idea as a separated entity what Holy Spirit is, what it could be, what that experience of the Holy Spirit is. But it does believe that part of the mind that made it, the decision maker, that made it is against it. It interprets this as a justification for attacking its maker. Our power to decide. The power of decision is still ours. And that power is what we call the decision maker on Ken Watnick's chart. Uh, line three, it, the ego, believes the best defense is attack and wants you as a decision to believe it too <laughs> you're identified with the ego so now you know it's, it feels like it owns owns us unless you as a decision maker do believe the ego you will not side with it we'll let it go and the ego feels badly in need of allies not really brothers but allies and so where does the ego turn <laughs> it makes up a body <laughs> and allies itself with a body Perceiving something alien to itself in your mind, meaning that the, the decision maker could make another choice, and that choice could be alien to the ego, 
perceiving something alien to itself in your mind, the ego turns to the body as its ally because the body is not part of you. The body was made as an attack on God. The ego made the body as an attack on God. The Holy Spirit can use it differently as a communication device, which is what he gets into here. But initially, the ego speaks first. The ego made the body as an attack on, on God and then identified with that body to keep God out. Um, paragraph five, the ego uses the body to conspire against your mind. And because the ego realizes that its enemy, this potential decision maker that could choose something else, that its enemy can end them both, me meaning the body and the ego, <laughs> end them both and end their existence because it was the decision maker pouring energy into the idea that made them real in the first place. The idea of the ego first, and then certainly the idea of the body. The ego um, can, that the decision maker of the enemy, quote unquote, can end them both merely by recognizing they are not part of us. They're not truly part of us, the ego or the body. They join in the attack together, meaning the ego kind of uses the body to attack the mind and then flips perception all around. And then, let's see, paragraph five, line three, the ego, which is not real, attempts to persuade the mind, which is real, that the mind is the ego's learning device and further that the body is more real than the mind is. In fact, we don't even remember we have a mind when we're identified with a body. When we, when we left the mind and we projected all the, all the craziness in the mind onto the world, we forgot we had a mind. That was the whole purpose of, of a world to begin with. Two, two main purposes. One was to forget we have a mind, especially that we have another choice as a guide. And the other purpose was to take the pain we were feeling from believing in separation and put it on all the other people in the world. It's not my fault. They, they stole my peace. Whether they is a virus or they is a person or they is an institution or they is traffic or they is my boss, but somebody robbed me of peace. And we don't believe that we even have a mind much or we're not aware we have a mind and we're not aware that we have another choice the way we can see our brother as holy instead of being the victimizer. So let's see. And then line four in paragraph five, no one in his right mind could possibly believe this. And then he gets cute. No one in his right mind does believe this. <laughs> He's describing what the experience of the right mind is. When we go right-minded, when we go Holy Spirit, when we go all forgiveness, we, we realize all this stuff is made up. The ego's made up and the body's made up. And that we, can, we have a choice as a decision maker to choose another way to look at everything, to choose a whole other guide. Um, and then... Paragraph six, line three, you, as a decision maker, have chosen a sleep in which you have had bad dreams. <laughs> Pretty bad. <laughs> First you dreamt you were an ego, and then you dreamt that there was a whole big bang in the world full of bad guys <laughs> trying to steal your peace. 
But the sleep is not real and God calls you to wake up. He calls you as a decision maker to wake up and hear the Holy Spirit. So I think, you know, you really emphasize this here, this idea of there's a part of us that's choosing constantly between the ego or the Holy Spirit. And, it, you know, he literally calls it the maker <laughs> in this case, the maker. And then the whole rest of this section is um, really about when we choose the ego as our guide, we're all, we're all in conflict, we're all in doubt, we're all totally uncertain. And he's comparing that uncertainty with the safety and the certainty of the Holy Spirit. That when we choose the Holy Spirit, we feel a whole lot better. And he uses that word, um, that comparison of doubt and certainty through the whole rest of this section. So the motivation becomes, if you want to feel safe, choose the Holy Spirit. If you want to walk around not in conflict, choose the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if you want to walk around certain of who you are, choose the Holy Spirit. And so it, it becomes a motivation to make that choice, and it becomes a motivation to actually listen to the lessons of the Holy Spirit in Section 5. Any comments or thoughts about any of that so far? I just, uh, I'll, reading this reminds me of uh, you know, Dorothy's comment to the, the scarecrow, which I always uh, paraphrase with to, uh, what would you do with a mind if you had one? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, she says brain, but I, I, I figure mind is more appropriate. Here. And what, did, what was his answer to that? Did he have an answer? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to watch the movie again. I, I, <laughs> you had to think about that one. Yeah. So it, there's sort of this little, um, whatever, six, seven, let's see, actually four, four paragraph intro to the lessons of the Holy Spirit. One of the themes that Ken Wapnick has pointed out, um, what Jesus is trying to do is get us to move away from God as punisher to God as a loving father. And, and that's what this intro, these four paragraphs are all about God being really nice to us as his loving children. I mean, he's basically calling us kids because from you know Jesus' point of view and from God's point of view, we're, we're acting like brats. <laughs> Not just children, but we're acting like bratty children. <laughs> so he's gonna, you know, he's gonna treat us, he loves us. He's not gonna abandon us. He's not gonna punish us because we made a mistake and chose separation, but he's, he's really going to um, change the image of God as punisher, change the image of the Holy Spirit as punisher, and present us with this loving image of God the Father. In other places, he says really, and Jesus says really insulting things like, God doesn't even know you're there, <laughs> which isn't real helpful but if we have this image of God as punisher. So he's gonna make this transition from God is punisher to God who loves his children. And finally, we'll be okay with <laughs> God doesn't even know we're here. <laughs> God doesn't even know about bodies and egos and all that kind of stuff. But he's really nice here. In, in paragraph one on page 103, um, I think it's line five. What God does know is that his communication channels are not open to him meaning us, <laughs> we've shut them out. <laughs> us as a decision maker, we've, we've closed them up. And so that he cannot impart his joy and know that his children 
and, and know that his children are wholly joyous. Meaning, let us wake up that we're, you know, we're just pretend, we're, we already are joyous, we're just pretending we're not. And then, um, and then line eight, so God thought, <laughs> it's a great myth, mythical story. God thought, oh, my children are just asleep. <laughs> they must be wake, wakened up. They don't need to be punished. They don't need to be reprimanded. They don't need to have their whole list of sins, you know, italicized in this, in this huge list, like, like Santa Claus <laughs> going over the list and checking it twice, see who's naughty or nice. I mean, that's not the kind of God Jesus is trying to present here. And then uh, paragraph two on the next page, he goes, how can you wake children in a more kindly way than by a gentle voice, a loving voice, that will not frighten them, but will merely remind them that the night is over. <laughs> Does this sound like a nursery rhyme or what? <laughs> the night is over <laughs> and the light has come. You do not inform them that the nightmares that frighten them so badly are not real. You don't scare them to death and say the world is nothing. <laughs> Your body isn't real. Well, Jesus kind of does that, but he does it in a really nice way. <laughs> all, of, all these nightmares you're having, they're not who you think you are. <laughs> so, so, I mean, he eventually gets there, but he, he doesn't like insist that all this stuff, and he calls it magic. He calls the ego magic. He calls uh, our, our, our identification as a body magic. That, that those are the nightmares we're having. That we believe there were these vulnerable, separated things that can be hurt. So he's not going to insist at first that they're all not real. <laughs> he's going to lead us into that gradually. And then uh, paragraph four, the Holy Spirit never itemizes your errors. He doesn't list your sins. <laughs> he doesn't even see your sins. <laughs> because he does not frighten children. And those who lack wisdom are children. So he's going to treat us like little, little kids that just need to be gently woke up and let go of our nightmare. Line three, children do confuse fantasy and reality, and they are frightened because they do not recognize the difference. And ultimately, we don't want to see the difference. <laughs> we want to believe the fantasy is real. And we're choosing that. So, so it kind of sets that up. <laughs> don't be afraid of the lessons of the Holy Spirit. He's going to walk you gently through all this stuff. However, after he does that really nice intro, what does he talk about? Death. <laughs> he just launches into death. Like, what does that have to do with any lesson of the Holy Spirit? He just goes off for a whole paragraph on death. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> Jesus has a way of doing that sometimes. <laughs> and so he starts in paragraph one. When your body and your ego and your dreams are gone, which is terrifying to any healthy ego, <laughs> like like he's going to stop, you know, treating us like kids for a moment here and set up where we're going with this. When your body and your ego and your dreams are gone, you will know that you will last forever. Perhaps you think this is accomplished through death, but nothing is accomplished through death because death is nothing. And I think one of the reasons he, I've thought about this, why he just launched into this whole thing about death is we have a, a real, certainly um, most religions have a real cultural idea that you have to be a martyr. You have to die like Jesus did. You have to die <laughs> in order to resurrect. 
you have to go through some kind of deep-seated, terrible experience in order to wake up, which is probably true because we, we bring that on ourselves. However, he's saying you don't have, there, there's no need for death. You don't have to be a martyr. This is not a course about sacrifice. You don't have to give yourself to the cross. Jesus starts this whole chapter with, this is not about crucifixion. This is about resurrection. This is about waking up to that you're already resurrected. You don't have to die to resurrect. You're already, you know, your true identity is already a done deal. You're, all, you're already still a living one son, innocent, um, and still connected with your father. So he starts with the, the bottom line idea of death here, and he kind of dispels it right away. In the manual, he says, our whole thought system as an ego and, and believing we're body is based on the idea of death. So he deals with that idea right away. You, you don't have to die in order to resurrect. You don't have to die in order to live. You don't have to die to wake up. And that's what he's saying here. He, take, he goes right for the fundamental belief system of the ego is that we are things that can die. As separate from our father, we believe we're things that can die. And he dispels that immediately. <laughs> he's like, this is not a course about to have, give all to all. It doesn't mean you've got to give up your body. It doesn't mean you've got to die to have everything. And I think that's really a, a fundamental idea that's at the base of the whole ego thought system, that fundamental idea of death. And he's trying to dispel that, like take the fear out of that. Like you don't have, in order for you to have, give all to all does not mean you've got to die does not mean you have to sacrifice, does not mean you have to be crucified. Because that's so built into <laughs> uh, so many religions. And then he goes on, he starts talking about the body specifically for the next three or four paragraphs. The way the ego uses the body and the way the Holy Spirit's gonna turn around and use the body, not as a symbol of something that can die, but as a symbol of a communication device to share the message that we're already resurrected and we can share that message with each other. So the body becomes, from the Holy Spirit's point of view, the body is not a symbol of death. It's a symbol of being able to share, communicate with each other the message of the resurrection. The message of, what did uh, Gretchen's hat said, blessed, <laughs> blessed. We're already all, all already blessed. <laughs> Any, any, anything about any of that so far? Tim, I was just reading about, you know, the Holy Spirit is always takes what you have made and translated into a learning device. I was flashing on, there's a Star Trek movie where uh, in, in the early days of Starfleet Academy, uh, Captain Kirk basically has this, this lesson that he's supposed to, you know, this challenge that he's supposed to do called the Kobayashi Maru. And it's like this impossible no-win scenario. And so and nobody's ever passed it. Nobody's ever passed it. So <laughs> what he does is he he basically hacks the the, the academy, you know, Starfleet Academy software system and rewrites the code so that he can win. But I he think, cheats. What, what, <laughs> but, but I think that's what the Holy Spirit really does for us. He basically goes outside the jurisdiction of the ego and says, "You're not going to win, you know, on ego's terms. There's no way, like Einstein said, you can't solve this on the, on the level that it was posed. But you got to go outside that." and you know, use 
other resources outside the, the, the premises and the assumptions that the ego makes in order to, to go beyond it. And so that's why yeah. we keep saying, you know, don't worry about it. I got you covered. We're going we're gonna to transcend this whole paradigm. And that's how it's going to work because trying to solve it within the, within the dream is, is, is hopeless, you know. Yeah, and, and certainly in Kirk's case, I mean, it's a great metaphor. In Kirk's case, he rewrote the program. The Holy Spirit's just show, showing us this is the only program. <laughs> the one you made, you try to rewrite a new program and it just doesn't work. And you really don't want to do it anyway because you're always going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Judy. Um, I'm wondering here when he, when he goes from straight to death this way, um, if death isn't um our adult nightmare in many ways um and also i'm wondering about the idea i don't think it's in the course but i'm just wondering about the idea of ego death um he certainly says um later on um in a very uncompromising way that that we you know that we have to choose does that mean we have to let the ego shrivel up and die uh, well the nice way he puts it is let it evaporate back into the nothingness from which it came oh that's much less that's much more gentle isn't it <laughs> well, like, jesus does it <laughs> i also find another phrase helpful it, it merely ceases to seem to be I think that's, okay. that's pretty helpful to me. Anyway. Oh, yeah, that is helpful. And in, in that section on the, the maker of the ego, mm -hmm. the ego's real fear is that the maker is going to choose something else. And in that way, the ego will, quote unquote, die, will go away. David, you had something? Yeah, I was, I recall uh, uh, in the one of the DVDs that you showed in our group of Ken Wapnick, I think think he said the Holy Spirit is the memory of who we really are. Mm. Is that true? Mm -hmm. You have a comment about that? <laughs> no, I just want to verify if I got that right. Yeah, oh yeah. It's, it's the memory of, of who we truly are. It's the memory of our connection with our Father that we brought into the dream with us. So that's why the Holy Spirit seems to have one foot in heaven and one foot in the dream which is why I was going to quit the course way back when. Because <laughs> I thought it made the dream real. I don't know what I was thinking about. It doesn't bother me anymore, but it sure bothered me then. <laughs> One of those phases I had to go through. <laughs> so uh, he goes on about the body for a while. And, so, and he's going to come back to this idea of, on page 106, to have, give all to all. So... What I wanted to look at briefly, I lost my cliff notes. They're gone, <laughs> they're just gone. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, was look at, uh, briefly go over these four things. These are the, the four lessons of the Holy Spirit. Let's see. And first one is to have, give all to all. And of course, one of the reasons he's talking about the body before he gets to this is, is he's not talking about the body. <laughs> he's not talking about ha having everything you give and give to the poor and become like St. Francis 
and walk out, you know, butt naked out of your father's house into the, into the world <laughs> and live with animals. <laughs> but he's talking about to have, give the idea, the blessing of the resurrection to everybody you meet. So you give all the blessing to all. You don't leave anybody out. So there's that, that completeness that son, of the sonship that he calls the kingdom of God, that we are that. We are the kingdom, we are the sonship, and we are complete in that identity. So to have, to have that, to realize that, to wake up, you offer that to everybody you meet. You offer that blessing of the resurrection instead of the blessing of the ego, which is condemnation. You need to go to hell. <laughs> There's a reason why we say go to hell a lot. Because <laughs> that is the commandment. <laughs> go to hell. You should be punished. Look what you did. So instead of offering that blessing of the ego, we offer the blessing of resurrection. You're still one son of God, so am I, and we can share that awareness. And he's not telling us to do that out loud, but certainly just to walk around, you know, and do that in our, aware, our own awareness. And he kind of points that out in that first lesson. We'll get to that. Um, the second one that's built on that one, to have give all to all, is, is to have peace, teach peace to learn it to have peace, teach peace, to learn it. Um, and what he's doing in that section, he's trying to get us motivated <laughs> to actually give peace a chance. <laughs> I mean, if you really want peace, this is what you need to do. You have to demonstrate it. That's what he means by teach. Teaching the course doesn't mean you stand on a soapbox and you tell everybody <laughs> the world isn't real and you're all, all caught up in a nightmare which is all true, but you don't say that out loud on a soapbox on a street corner on Colfax. <laughs> what he wants you to do is, is to share the awareness of that with your brother, to teach yourself that you already are at peace. You share the blessing of peace with your brother instead of condemning him. So to have peace, teach peace to learn it. Demonstrate peace to your brother that they have no effect on your, your peace and that you're willing to see them without condemnation. So to have peace, teach peace. And he's trying to get us motivated to even try this process. And then finally, be vigilant for the Holy Spirit um, is all about, I think, going that experience of the third step of forgiveness. And I think actually all these three line up with the three steps of forgiveness, these first three. So be vigilant for the Holy Spirit means when, when, after you go through these first two steps, you'll automatically be vigilant for the Holy Spirit. You're all, you'll automatically be trying to catch yourself where your ego is trying to pop up its dirty little head <laughs> and try to insist again, you know why you're upset. So it, there's different ways to describe each of these three steps. But I think equating them with the three steps of forgiveness, if you're familiar with them, is, is a really um, valid approach. So to have, give all to all. So that works, that works in both ways. It works for the ego. To have separation, you have to give separation to everybody. And you have to blame everybody for it. 
if you want to believe you're separate, you have to insist that everybody has been quote unquote blessed with, with separation and blame and guilt and all that went with it. <laughs> to have guilt, give guilt to everybody. <laughs> to have separation, give separation to everybody. To have fear, give fear to everybody. Now that, that works with the ego, but it also works with the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> we're demonstrating what we want to learn. So if I'm in ego mode, if I want to learn separation and believe it, I, I share that. <laughs> can't really be shared, but I kind of bestow that condemnation on everybody. You're separate, you're not the son of God, and you're damned to hell. Look what you did. Go ahead, Bruce. Yeah, I was just thinking that that kind of gives us kind of a, a way out. And, in, in, you know, so the corollary to that is that, you know, if the ego, uh, which never will do this, but if we, if we allow ourselves to admit that we have one true friend, that we have one, one you know, a, a real uh, opportunity for guidance and, and shared interest, and it can be represented by anyone or anything, mm -hmm. and we admit that to ourselves, then it's like, okay, there's Leonard Cohen's, you know, the, the crack that lets the light in. And, and that's, that's the opportunity then to say, oh, I could see peace instead of this. <laughs> it's just, all it takes is just one little trigger that we allow to enter our mind that then can transform everything. Yeah. Part of the Part of the waking up process is, or part of the process of staying asleep as an ego is we don't realize that that is a fundamental law for the ego too. To have separation, give separation to everybody. We just think we're walking around being normal. <laughs> we think we're going through a day doing what, what, what bodies do. And we are, you know, I mean, he's not telling us not to do that. But if we're operating from an ego point of view, we're giving separation, we're looking for bad guys, we're looking for guilt, and, and we don't want to let that go, and we're not admitting it. So part of giving separation to everybody is don't admit you're doing that because you might be willing to try something else. What he's saying here is the Holy Spirit has us become aware that that's what we're doing. When we're, when we're in separation mode, we're giving separation to everybody. However, when we're in Holy Spirit mode, we're giving that to everybody too, meaning I'm willing to give them something else besides condemnation. So it's that awareness that this law is actually in effect. When we're in ego mode, we don't have to know we're doing that. So I, one way of putting that is, Ken would always say, the first step of forgiveness is stop insisting you're upset for the reason you think. wake up. <laughs> you're not upset for the reason you think. The reason you're upset is you're giving separation to everybody and yourself, and that's why you're upset. But you don't believe that. You think your brother did something to you. <laughs> you don't believe that you're to have separation, give separation to everybody. You know why you're upset. But once you realize you might not be upset for the reason you think, and maybe this law is true. Maybe I'm really upset because I'm hanging on to separation, and I'm giving that to everybody. We become aware of that possibility and maybe I'll let it go. So that's another way of looking at the first step of forgiveness. Then the second step of forgiveness is literally, Ken would say it's lesson 34. I could see peace instead of this. That's just rephrasing this one. <laughs> to have peace, teach peace to learn it. <laughs> to know that you already are at peace, demonstrate that to your brother. Give him the blessing of peace. And then you'll begin to wake up that you already have it. And then 
you just walk through the day vigilant for the Holy Spirit. You'll be seeing the Holy Spirit in everybody. <laughs> You'll have a day like Alexa had the other day with that bank manager. <laughs> You'd be happy to meet everybody. <laughs> You'll be wanting to shake their hand and everything. <laughs> so when you're vigilant for the Holy Spirit, you're aware of these two things and you've already gone through that and you've let it go and you're walking, you know, in, in a holy instant, you're walking in the real world. You're walking in the world looking for holiness instead of looking for trouble. So that's why I thought these three line up. And the fourth step, the fourth lesson of the Holy Spirit, you can't say a whole lot about it. <laughs> it it's, it's, you get to the lawns of heaven, you're hanging out there, you know, you're playing croquet or whatever you do on the lawns of heaven. In that movie, what was that movie with Meryl Streep about heaven? About that you could eat all the pie you want, you wouldn't gain weight. <laughs> whatever the lawns of heaven are, that's where you're hanging out. And then God takes the final step. God takes the final step. It's a nice way of saying that God will let you back into heaven, but not really. You never left heaven. You'll just wake up and realize you never left heaven. God takes the final step. And in fact, he doesn't even include that in chapter six. He starts chapter seven with this last lesson, this last step. God takes, and it's called the last step. <laughs> he doesn't say a whole lot about it. A couple of paragraphs, actually. Good, Bruce. Yeah, I just clicked from it. I never really thought of it this way, but that God taking the last step would imply that it's absolutely zero zip nada that our individual seemingly separate selves you know, are involved in, you know, that we've, at that point, we've really truly let go of all of that nonsense mm -hmm. from the Holy Spirit's perspective. Yeah. Right. And there's not even a decision maker anymore. I mean, the decision maker definitely had a role to play in all these three, <laughs> these three steps, but at that point, there's not even a decision maker. It's all, all of us at one son of God, just hanging out at the gates of heaven, waiting for God to do whatever he's going to do. Go ahead, Peggy. I'm just wondering, so when God takes the final step, then what? <laughs> That's why he doesn't talk about it much. It's an experience beyond words. We all go back to heaven, not really. We all realize we never left heaven. And, and just even try to describe that is pretty weird <laughs> from this point of view. So don't worry about it. When you get to heaven, it'll be fine. <laughs> just yeah. trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Does that mean we die then? Maybe. Oh no, we were never we were never bodies anyway, so we don't die. <laughs> we're just we'll just wait. And, and one way of putting it is, we'll wake up to that we were always eternally alive, that we couldn't die. We'll just wake up to and realize, as one son of God, we can't die. So I mean, he's really flipping. <laughs> it's it's really hard to describe what heaven is. If you've ever been into a 12-step meeting, the best they do is whatever heaven is, don't worry about it. Just realize you're not heaven. <laughs> you're not in heaven right now. <laughs> Just wait. When you get to heaven, everything will be there. <laughs> It'll be good. Okay. <laughs> I know that's not, that's not real helpful intellectually. <laughs> and, and Jesus isn't real helpful that way either. <laughs> David, did you have something? You're on mute, David. Um, isn't this whole thing based on the principle that giving and receiving are the same? Mm -hmm. One of the same. Yeah, right. Another way of saying it. To have, give all to all, and then you'll realize you've already got it. 
giving and receiving are the same. And he's talking about ideas once again. He's not talking about body stuff. Because when bodies give everything away, they don't have anything left. <laughs> or when bodies get everything, the other guy doesn't have anything. So in the world of bodies, this law does not abide. It's in the world of ideas. It's in the world of the mind where this principle holds true. But since this entire planet is a reflection of this thought, if I'm in ego mode, it's hell. <laughs> and if I'm in a Holy Spirit mode, the world becomes a reflection of heaven. Uh, when you, uh, when uh, Peggy asked what happens when God takes a final step and you were talking about heaven, reminded me of when my sister, who was very close because she was my only sibling, uh, passed. I had a very vivid dream. And in the dream, I asked where she was. And it was very clear. She said, I'm in your mind. Mm. The fact that you have me in your mind right now, I am with you. Mm. And, uh, that was pretty impressive to me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of those moments that Judy was talking about. <laughs> When you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I figure my little dog is going to take one last poop on the lawns of heaven and then disappear. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. <laughs> oh, oh, really. So the, these are the four lessons of the Holy Spirit, these are the four steps that we kind of go through. And the third one, the last one, we don't even go through. <laughs> we just have that done to us, whatever that means. So to back up to, um, so the first one, let's see, trying to find a nice little succinct place here. <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of good stuff in here. <laughs> Paragraph six on page 106. This idea, just the idea of it, just sitting with the idea of to have, give all to all, because that is so insulting to us as bodies. Like, like you're, I mean, it just sounds like he's asking us to sacrifice everything. We got to give everything up. But like David was saying, giving is receiving. If I, when I give you the idea of you're blessed, I get the idea that I'm blessed. So this is a very preliminary step. And then interesting enough, he says, it's the only one you must take for yourself. All the other steps you take for the whole sonship. But this is the one where you start. You think you're an individual self. And you have to change directions <laughs> to being willing to look at another possibility that you're not this individual self. And that maybe the law of to get, I have to take in order to receive, isn't true. So I'm, I'm pulling the rug on the whole fundamental thought system of the ego, especially as a body that says to get, I have to steal it or take it or compromise or bargain or deal to get it from you. So this is a, a huge, because what it's going to eventually do is unravel my identity. 
not just as a body, but as a separate self from God. But it's a very preliminary step that, and it seems to be an individual one. It's the individual step that each of us has to take in order to wake up to the fact that we're not individuals. Because we're the ones that are individually insisting I'm an individual. So the first step has to be to open up to a possibility of something else. This is a very preliminary step and the only one you must take for yourself. <laughs> You've got to change direction. It is not even necessary that you complete the step yourself. Don't leave Jesus out of this. <laughs> Definitely take him into this step with you. But it is necessary that you turn in that direction, that you're willing to go there. You're willing to entertain the possibility that to have a blessing of innocence, I have to be willing to share that innocence with everybody. And that, that's changing direction from the ego, which says, find your brother, blame him, condemn him, because he should be punished and not you. <laughs> and then you're, now you're changing it to a blessing of, we're all, all already okay. I give the blessing of okayness to everybody I meet. Am I willing to go there? Am I willing to try that? So, and then having chosen to go in this new direction, line three, you place yourself in charge of the journey where you and only you must remain. This goes back to that reference that Lynn was talking about in section four, where we, be, I think it was section four, previously in chapter six, where we become commander of our own ship. The decision maker is deciding who's gonna, who we're gonna ask for advice to be the navigator. Are we asking the ego or are we asking the Holy Spirit? But we're the commander of the ship. We're the one that chooses between one of those two teachers. And, and what Stephen was pointing out the other day, I think it was lesson 253, I don't know, but there's this whole lesson in the workbook about <laughs> We're, we're the ruler of our universe. We choose what direction we're going to go in. We choose who our, our navigator is going to be, who our guide is going to be, who our teacher is going to be. And so this first step, we have to individually take it because <laughs> we think we're individuals. In fact, we're insisting we are. So it's just really letting go of insisting that I'm an, an individual and even more to the point that I have to do this myself. I can do this with Jesus. I can invite him into the process. But I start with, I'm willing to try that. I'm willing to invite him in. I'm willing to admit maybe I'm not upset for the reason I think. <laughs> it's another way of putting it. I'm willing to be shown that maybe I, I, I don't know why I'm upset and maybe Jesus can show me something else. I take another direction <laughs> from what I think is going on. I don't know where in the hell it's going to take me, <laughs> but, but I'm willing to try it because everything else hasn't worked. There must be another way. That's what Bill said to Helen. There's got to be another way than what we're doing because this is hell. And then uh, paragraph three on the next page, the first step in the reversal or undoing process is the undoing of the getting concept, the body concept. The body concept that if I get it, you don't have it anymore. The body concept that if you get it, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> is one or the other, the getting concept. 
And then, let's see. So this whole thing about with the second step, he's, he's trying to get us motivated to try it. And that's what he's talking about in um, paragraph eight on page 108, paragraph eight, line three, this second step to have peace, teach peace, to learn it, is a positive affirmation of what you want, what you really value now, what you want to learn to value. <laughs> you want to learn to value peace. You want to find out how to really have it if there's a way to have it. Um, line four, this then is a step in the direction out of conflict since it means that alternatives have been considered and one has been chosen as more desirable, more valuable. <laughs> Maybe give peace a chance, the old 1960s demonstration march mantra, give peace a chance. I I'm willing to give peace a chance. Um, paragraph nine, the second step then is still perceptual. That's an interesting comment. <laughs> so the first step, we're kind of moving from the perception of the world and the laws that rule in the world. And maybe I'm willing to look at the world a different way. And then the second step perceptual is I'm willing to see me differently. It's a perceptual ch a change in the way, first of the way I'm seeing you as responsible for my pain, and then seeing me as maybe I'm not responsible for my pain either because maybe the pain's made up. Maybe separation is made up. So these are both perceptual changes. First in the world, and then we move back to the mind, and then we perceive a whole nother way in our mind of, of, of approaching this idea of separation, which was always the fundamental issue anyway hanging on to separation. We crucified ourselves to the cross of the tiny mad idea of separation. We nailed ourselves to that sucker <laughs> and we weren't gonna let it go for nothing. <laughs> and we were gonna run with it and do whatever we had to do to believe it. So, um, so yeah, and then, then um, the second step, paragraph nine, is still perceptual, although it is a giant step towards the unified perception that reflects God's knowing. It's a giant step towards letting the Holy Spirit show us totally something different, a whole new real world seen from his point of view. And line two, as you take this step and hold this direction, this new direction you're going in, where you're willing to let the Holy Spirit show you something else, as you hold this direction, you will be pushing towards the center of your thought system, who you think you are. <laughs> That's why it's dark night of the soul. You think you're the separated thing from God. And you're pushing yourself towards actually looking at that and maybe letting it go with the help of the Holy Spirit. Where the fundamental change will occur. That's where all this mess started, is we nailed ourselves to the cross of the tiny mad idea. <laughs> we crucified ourselves. Nobody crucified us, we crucified ourselves, and all that was made up. We couldn't crucify ourselves. We couldn't become something we weren't. And then line three, if the second step progress is intermittent, but the second step is easier than the first because it follows. I don't know about that. Dark night of the soul is pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I wouldn't want to like have to rate which one is worse. <laughs> it was nice to get started down that path, but Dark Knight of the Soul is pretty rough when you get there. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Bruce. I was just going to say, it seems like the second step is, is challenging when we're, we're, when we allow ourselves to be paralyzed instead of, you know, just continuing to ask, you know, okay, Holy Spirit, can you show me that the guilt is unfounded? Can you show me that that whole thought system is bogus and silly? And, and, and if we kind of essentially move forward with that, then, then you know, then there's some traction. But as, as long as we, you know, let ego paralyze us and, and, you know, and continue to identify with that, it seems like that's, that's when it, it seems really dark. <laughs> At least that's been my experience, you know, as, as, long, as long as I'm willing to, to just question the validity of, of the ego's gloomy, guilty, you know, uh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus at that point goes all Byron Katie on us and says, is that true? Exactly. <laughs> you think you're the home of evil, darkness, and sin. Is that true? <laughs> really? It's better maybe that you could turn this around. Yeah. yeah. Stephen, did you have something? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the idea uh, came about, the tiny mad idea came about under the, under the power, under the aegis uh, of the the wonderment of creation and God. So when that happened, ego came about. That was with all that power. So ego is insidious. Uh, ego is ingenious. Ego can go in a lot of different directions at one time. We have no idea how good ego really is. So for me, in my practicing, I have to have crutches because ego is coming at me, especially when I'm doing really well. Egos coming at me from all sides, and so my crutches um, uh, are a lot. The you know uh, one of them is biblical. You know, pray always, pray continuously, pray without, without ceasing. Um, but it, it's also um, I will step back and let him lead the way. Uh, when I'm when I'm going toward a brother, I have to do certain things. I I say I, I say I'll always respond with love, offer peace to everyone. Uh, you know, I, I grab these little, it's just words, and it has nothing to do with anything, these words don't, but it engages the willingness. And when when it get, engages the willingness, um, I move in with the thought of God. And that, I don't like energy, but that thought of God comes through me, and whatever is supposed to happen in that moment happens. Now, getting this right on a regular basis, good luck with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a part of the course where it says uh, uh, you don't have to have pure thoughts. You just have to have thoughts that, that you wouldn't give away. In other words, you have to have spirit with you all the time, but there is no time. So it's reduced to a holy instant. Um, and in each instant, when we can do that, we bring a thousand with us. Not literally, but since it's all mind, it's all connected in that particular moment. And, and so that's how we get home. And, you know, I, I repeat the, the title, the lesson titles. I am the Holy Son of God himself. I could see peace instead of this. Whichever one of those comes in at that time, if I think of those words, the willingness is engaged. Uh, and I'm off to the races with the uh, Holy Spirit uh, and Jesus by my side. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have a little 
guideposts along the way that remind me which direction I really want to go in. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And, 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 and that kind of vigilance to have those kind of guideposts and signs along the way is really what he's talking about in the third step. Be vigilant only for God and his kingdom by realizing when you're not. <laughs> I mean, the way you're, you're vigilant for God, you're vigilant to see the tiny mad idea as silly is when we start falling back in or being drawn into or tempted to take the tiny mad idea seriously again of separation and nail ourselves to it. <laughs> So you don't want to pick up the hammer and the nails and start pounding. You want to step back for a minute and ask yourself, maybe I don't want to do this. <laughs> maybe I want to be vigilant not to start pounding the nails again. <laughs> Lynn, you trying to say something? Well, as I was listening to Stephen and, and going through this with you, I think the, 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 the one thing that always comes up for me is that um, the, the, the closer I become to a brother, the closer I become to Jesus, um, that uh, the experiences that I have had that have been completely transcendent have always occurred in relationship with a brother. Always, always, always. And for years, um, you know, I thought that I was going to have something for myself. <laughs> this was back a while ago, but it was the idea that, um, you know, the, the, the getting idea was there, that somehow something was going to happen to a me. And it doesn't happen to a me. It, it you know, it happens as a realization that my brother and I are joined and that experience can come in, in many different ways. But what it's teaching me is that there is no separated me. And I become less and less fearful of that the more experiences I have of, of joining in the peace of God with a brother. And, and, and we're, we're both out of time as we've had those experiences here together as, as a group sometimes. But it's always teaching me that I'm not this separate entity. So I become less and less fearful of losing that, as Peggy was saying, you know, what's going to happen to me? Well, as we become more familiar with this place where our brother and ourselves are joined at, 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 as a mind, we realize that nothing's lost when the body isn't there. You know, it's definitely an experience of being beyond beyond the body and still being in in relationship. So, I just wanted to share that the importance of realizing that this happens in relationship. The um, and and the classroom. We just did a big seminar on relationships on Saturday, and so I mean, it really came home that um, this idea, this third step, be vigilant for God in His kingdom that takes place within all our relationships. That it's, it's the place that I, it's the only place I can be vigilant is in my relationship with whoever <laughs> or, or whatever. It could be a thing too. It could be the virus. You know, it could be my computer, it could be my car, it could be you know, my pet, it could be whatever. But am I, am I vigilant about maintaining separation? Am I vigilant about maintaining the blame for my lack of peace 
or my supposed lack of peace on somebody else, or am I vigilant to let that go in this relationship? Am I willing to see you as holy? My pet, <laughs> my computer, the virus even. But you, you know, usually it's other people because that's the ones that push our buttons the most because <laughs> we're that species. But, but whatever the relationship is, it's always, am I vigilant for holiness in this relationship rather than condemning it, rather than condemning my, the, the other person in this relationship? And that's what special love relationship's all about. That's what special hate relationship's all about, is they're both setups to condemn our brother. And am I willing to stop going in that direction? Am I willing to change the goal of my relationship to holiness, meaning I'm willing to see you as holy in spite of what you did or didn't do? I'm willing to see me as holy in spite of what <laughs> I did or didn't do. So the, the be vigilant part is we're shifting the goal from condemnation to active searching and being willing to see holiness beyond whatever we think we're seeing with our body's eyes. In a paragraph, closing at least on this third step, paragraph 10 on page 111, the third step then is a statement of what you want to believe. Do you want to see guilt or do you want to see holiness? <laughs> do you want to find out who the bad guy is or do you want to let go of believing there is a bad guy? And entails a willingness to relinquish everything else. And he's not talking about stuff. He's talking about judgment. The, the middle section of this chapter six is relinquishment of judgment. Relinquishment of attacking my brother and saying he's guilty. Relinquishment of all that judgment. That's the everything else. <laughs> That's what keeps us defined as a body. That's what keeps us defined as an ego. The Holy Spirit will enable you to take this step if you follow him. Your vigilance, our desire to see holiness instead of condemning our brother, is the sign that you want him to guide you. Vigilance does require effort, but only until you learn that effort itself is unnecessary. <laughs> he promises we'll get there, <laughs> that this will become the new norm. <laughs> We're talking about getting back to the new norm when we get out of lockdown. Well, this is the Holy Spirit's version of the new norm. <laughs> This will be when he takes us out of the lockdown of the ego and believing we're these separate selves, this will become the new norm. Effort will become unnecessary. And then you know, he points out in line five, you have exerted great effort to preserve what you made because it wasn't true. You had to keep reinforcing that this was all true because you knew it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, there's a part of it, it's called the Holy Spirit, the memory of God, that says this isn't true. <laughs> Knocking at the door, wake up, <laughs> you don't have to do this. Therefore, you must now turn your effort, instead of condemning, you turn your effort to seeking out holiness. In spite of, <laughs> whatever the in spite of is. And then finally, um, that last final step, he describes that in chapter 7. Beginning of chapter 7, it's actually called the last step. Paragraph 6 on page 113, he says, line 3, I have said that the last step in the reawakening of knowledge is taken by God. This is true, but it's hard to explain. <laughs> 
I was trying to explain it to Peggy. I wasn't getting anywhere. <laughs> it's hard to explain in words because words are symbols and nothing that is true need be explained. One of my favorite descriptions of the process that Ken Wabnick shared way back when in Roscoe, he said, before you go poof, before God takes the last step, before you go poof, you go peace. You'll realize you're already connected with your brother and everything's fine. Before you go poof back to heaven and God takes the last step, you'll go peace. And when you go, be, when you go peace, you won't be afraid to go poof. Because you'll know that at that point, the real you was never the other thing anyway. It wasn't this. <laughs> it wasn't this. This goes puff, but it would never reel it in the first place. So before you go puff, you'll go peace. And when you go peace, you won't be afraid to go puff. And if that doesn't make any sense, don't worry about it. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> um, as a closing uh, workbook, page 443. And this is uh, when we hit that last third, third step, third lesson of the Holy Spirit, and we stay, we stay vigilant. <clears throat> and this is the experience of the real world. <clears throat> and that's what he's talking about here in what is the whole, I, I'm sorry, yeah, 443, what is the real world? And in paragraph four and five, he talks about getting to the lawns of heaven just before God takes the final step. He calls it final step here, not last step. So Lynn, you want to read paragraph four and five, and then we'll get quiet for a minute. Sure. The real world is the symbol that the dream of sin and guilt is over and God's son no longer sleeps. His waking eyes perceive the sure reflection of his father's love, the certain promise that he is redeemed. The real world signifies the end of time for its perception makes time purposeless. The Holy Spirit has no need of time when it has served his purpose. Now he waits, but that one instant more for God to take his final step and time has disappeared, taking perception with it as it goes and leaving but the truth to be itself. That instant is our goal for it contains the memory of God. And as we look upon a world forgiven, it is he who calls to us and comes to take us home, reminding us of our identity, which our forgiveness has restored to us. We'll get quiet for a little bit.
And uh, remember that whenever you're upset about anything, usually it's about what somebody else did, but even if you're upset about something you did or didn't do, remember it's, it's never about that. It's always about just simply my insisting that Jesus isn't here right now. And, and as soon as we let him back in, we'll know what to do. If we need to go back and make amends for something we did, <laughs> we'll do that. But we'll do that with him. <laughs> and it won't be because of guilt. It'll just be because we're willing to fix, uh, you know, fix our own awareness of what's going on. So any upset at all is in any given moment, and especially when it's about us or something we did or didn't do, is always because I'm not letting Jesus back into the picture. I mean, it's that simple, it's that silly, but it's that true. And as soon as I let him in, I'll intuitively know what to do or not do, whether something needs to be. I remember Ken Wapnick even came to me one day. He was giving me a hard time one day, and he came back the next day and told me he was sorry. I never saw Ken do that. <laughs> I must have had this look on my face when he was picking on me. <laughs> but I, I didn't take it personally. <laughs> But he must have thought I did. So I'm, I'm sure Ken didn't think he did anything wrong, but he just thought, well, maybe Tim needs to be apologized to because he thinks I was mean to him or something. But anyway, the gist is invite Jesus back in. If you're upset about anything, invite Jesus back in. And if you're not upset about anything, invite Jesus back in. <laughs> just whatever's going on, invite Jesus back in. <laughs> Anyway, thanks everybody for hanging in there that long. <laughs> it always goes over. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.